And we are live with our 208th episode of Absolute Absec. I am Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Excited to be back on the podcast. As always, um, we've got all sorts of uh, articles to review. There's been quite a bit of activity going on um, just in the Slack channel and news in general. Um, Feels like with the the explosion of interest in AI, that there's all sorts of things to talk about on those fronts. Um, first and foremost, though, from a secure code review perspective, we are teaching that training course at DEF CON in August. Um, I will post the link here shortly. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you know that this is one of the um, few public courses that we've had this year. Um, we are looking for other places to host the course and submit the course. There will be other opportunities later this year, but um, this summer, this is the only one that we currently have on the books um, or scheduled. Uh, so um, join us at DEF CON. It's the two days after the conference, if you're going to be there. Um, but otherwise, um, if you want to see Ken or I, you need swag, whatever it is, reach out to us on Slack. Um, we're always there. Um, even if we don't respond, we'll get back to you. Um, let's see if there's anything else. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, we are starting to do sponsorships, like I've said in the past for Absolute AppSec, um, reach out to sponsors at absoluteappsec.com. But this episode, episode 208 is sponsored by Redpoint Security. Um, and we've got like a little tagline for them. So, Have you ever been looking to bolster your application security or improve your organization's security program? Well, then you should check out our sponsor, Redpoint Security. Redpoint specializes in code security for coders, bolstered by years of experience testing web and mobile applications, conducting secure code reviews and Web3 applications, and smart contracts. It also offers developer training to help ground your software teams in better security practices to improve CD results, as well as the overall maturity of your security program. So please check out redpointsecurity.com for more information and put your company and developer teams on a path to better security. Um, Thanks to Redpoint for sponsoring this episode. Uh, Otherwise, Ken, anything else that you want to announce before we run into our first article? Buy Redpoint's shit. There you go. (laughs) I don't know. There there you go. That'll work. (laughs) Very mature. Very very mature way of putting putting it. No, no, no. Seriously. The guy gets stuff. So do that um, um yeah yeah I, I mean the first article that i wanted to discuss and i think it was the last one that you read ken uh it's been making the rounds on a few slack channels that we've been that we're in um but it is the new dot zip tld uh for domains right um yeah uh and first things first when it comes to dot zip uh, like before we get into the article, what do you think of that? <laughs> what do you think no. of Google, you know, starting to to use file extensions as TLDs? Well, do you, what was the reason for that? Do you know? Because uh, I've read the articles, but I don't. I don't think I've seen anybody talk about like why. So that that's my only thought. Is more of a question, just like. Um, what's the reason? Cause I mean, obviously like there's been a lot of ways to, to break it. I don't know if you want to, I'm sure you want to get into that, but, uh, or not to break it, but to abuse that functionality. But, uh, I guess I, yeah, let me see if I can pull up. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, if you go to domains.google slash TLD slash zip, because it is Google that has registered it. It just says web moves at a high speed. So show you do too with the dot zip domain. I mean, honestly, I think they just decided they wanted another three-letter TLD and .zip was available, right? Um, Yeah. But I I mean, the security community, like the backlash has been very similar to that article that you read, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. and then I've got got another one that I'll, I'll, I'll share here in a moment too, that is actually like a security researcher that's already coming up with ways to actually abuse .zip based on JavaScript. Like you go to like setup.zip or whatever it is, 
and it actually shows you a, an exploded zip file in your browser. It'll do like an alert pop-up so it can get a, it can do away with the browser bar and everything, make it look like a zip file to try and trick people into installing apps, right? Um, it's, it's so freaking dangerous, right? I, I, I don't know what else to say about it. And that second article actually popped up from in um, Slack, right? It was Mark V that, that posted it. Um, but the biggest thing is just, I, I don't get what their thinking is, right? Like from a securing the web perspective, like they, ha they have all these things that they do to secure TLDs, like making sure that their HTTPS are encrypted only, um, you know, they, they make you prove who you are, right? Like, you know, there's no just anonymous to Google, at least domains. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff that they do to protect, but then at the same time, you know, that that's what this is going to be used for. Um, I mean, maybe not everybody that's doing it, a dot zip is going to attack, but there's going to be quite a few. I don't know. Did you see anything different, right? Like, did you see any other reason why they did it? Well, I mean, the big brain move here would have been to, cause like one of the, or the second article from bleeping computer shows using the browser to essentially like, especially with a pop-up, it actually looks like file explorer and it looks like you're yeah. doing things in a zip, like, or on your machine with a zip file. So for instance, it could say like in this web browser pop-up that looks like a file explorer, it could say like enter your local password to like install this thing, which is pretty common, right? Enter a local password to install a program. Um, and then obviously exfil that data off. So there's like that abuse, um, not that one case, but just the fact that there's a lot of things available when your browser looks like it's your local file explorer and you're confused on which one it is, which they yeah. make it very easy to get confused even for a security expert. Now, the big brain play here, if I was Google, was to immediately ship also an update for the browser since they own Chrome <laughs> that then negates all that stuff. And they could claim like they have the first security, like not only did we put the, you know, I mean, it'd be pretty. So, okay, so uh, the, we put yeah. the TLD out and the TLDE out there. And then we had the protections built into our browser from day one. And then mm -hmm. FU Safari and Firefox and Edge figure it out or whatever Microsoft's got now. I don't even know anymore. Um, anyways, yeah, that's, that's what I think. But, uh, cause I, I, that's the only different take I think I, I have maybe. What about, uh, what about, um, walking this back do you think that they'll walk any of this back at all or just try to like yeah build I, browser I, protections or something i doubt it just because it it's approved right like so it's not only google but it's whatever the the organization that approves domains right um like now that it's approved they've sold domains i i don't see them rolling it back i you know i <sighs> I think this one's going to be yeah. bad for phishing. I, I, it's going, oh yeah, dot MOV. I think that was the other one, right? Leisure Suit Larry, right? Like that was, I think that was the other new one that they included. Is MOV. You know, but I suppose, it, yeah. I don't feel like, I, I don't know. I don't feel though as if they would, these are, you know, okay, we all poke fun and make jokes there are intelligent people right at Google. Yeah. So extremely it does intelligent make you wonder. People. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so for me, I do wonder if this is uh, like the first stage of some bigger plan in one of their product areas to support one of their product areas. That's, that's the only thing I could maybe think of um, it, without there being a, somebody from Google saying, here's why we did this specifically. Yeah. Which I, I, I mean, didn't see from a quick, yeah. <laughs> Google search. <laughs> <laughs> Google did not tell you about the nefarious Google activity. Wait, what? <laughs> no. Um, no. I, I don't know. Like I, I go back to like, I think the articles mentioned this as well, right? Like the, the fact that now that setup.zip or whatever it is, it like .zip is now recognized as a, as a link, right? So every zip file is now going to be like, or even if it's not a zip file, it's going to represent as one within any rendered HTML, any browser, um, where previously it probably wasn't, right? Like if you're doing like the auto URL, which it, which most browsers uh, do nowadays, 
or markup or any other languages are going to recognize .zip as something that is a is a URL, which is going to make it clickable. Um, I don't, I don't, yeah, like confusion galore is what I'm seeing out of this. Even if it isn't just insecurity, it feels like it's a step backwards as far as like UX goes, um, and the user experience with dealing, you know, dealing with zip files at this point. Uh, so I like I've got a really it leaves a You're bad right. taste in my mouth. Access right? too quiet right now. Frameworks yeah. are starting to clean themselves up and prevent against easy stuff. Where we've got like the vulnerabilities that like the, some of the newer stuff kind of under control with some cheat sheets. Let's like introduce some more mayhem uh, for for folks because it's just too quiet. That that's my best guess. That's my best guess. No, I'm Somebody sure. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, without them saying, it's a lot of speculation and a lot of, uh, like you said, I agree. It's just a worse experience for everybody. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll get a .swift file <laughs> extension DLD. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> make those cool again. I mean, hell, we're sporting RARs and zips and stuff. So, uh, yeah. I anyways, know. I don't know, man. Like, it's a weird choice, I think. But uh, again, I, I can't help but think there's a some reason that they had for doing that. Just don't know what it is, obviously. Yeah. I, I, that's just it, right? Like I'm starting to look, I'm like, huh, maybe I'll, you know, I'll get a couple, you know, dot zip domains just so we can prove the point and use it in phishing attacks, right? Like, uh, uh, I don't know, but that feels scummy too. I, I mean, well, I, I'm, I'm trying to think about this in a context of what does that change when I do a code review too? Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, again, it goes to... back to that like URL validation, right? Like that's that that's where yeah. I kind of go to is that recognition of, hey, do you really want to recognize all of the different domains that are out there? And if you're just doing that, um, I mean, we've always kind of done that with uh, email regular expressions, right? Like looking for two or three letter character after a period, right? Like for the regular expressions to match an email address, but now we're going to have to look at URL validation and whether or not we want to recognize some of these domains. It, and it's going to get bizarre with parsing. Yeah. The parsing like in mobile apps, right? Like that user experience, people just click on all sorts of stuff. So anyway, cool. I suppose, all right. Well, I guess no, no hot takes. SSRF. Outside. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to I'm, I'm think on this one. Cause I, I want to think of like, uh, yeah, just different like AppSec specific attacks for, for this that we could, or things to look for during code reviews that would, anyways, I don't know. Just yeah. got me thinking a lot about this one. It's uh very interesting. I don't understand any of it in terms of why, why, why it was done. Well, Very yeah, my question is dangerous. Not sure what the deal is. What I want to see is the threat model that they did deciding whether or not they were going to allow this, right? Like what, what was the decisioning behind it from both um, the, you know, what is the name of the TLD register place, right? I can't even remember oh. now, right? Like, you know, the that government orgs. Yeah, the governmental organization that does it, but also from uh, Google, right? Like what was the what were the steps and where did that actually get approved and what sort of discussions actually went I can. on? I can. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, for so long they were resistive of other dangerous TLDs that uh, it's, it's just, it's a slippery slope, right? Like is dot exe next or right. Like what else? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it's I can with two ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't spell. I'm sitting here shitting on their zip domains and I can't even spell. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That's okay. how today's going. <laughs> That's how today's going. Listen, no it's been a three day weekend and mm -hmm. it's funny because uh, so like with a three-day weekend, I, I always assume I'm like the only person I know who walks away from three-day weekends just absolutely flattened and exhausted. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe just weekends in general. Uh, and then like Monday, I'm always like, oh man, like, all right, cool. I get kind of a break. Like uh, I'm working, but um, yeah, it's kind of a break from doing 
manual labor and installing <laughs> things and anyways yeah doing maintenance. <laughs> yeah so then uh so then like I, I got hopped on a meeting first thing this morning and it was funny like uh, one of our engineers the first thing he was like just exhausted. I was like, thank God I'm not the only one. <laughs> Sorry you're exhausted, but I'm so glad that I'm not the only one who walks in and is like, I'm more tired than I was on Friday. So, uh, yep. anyways. Yeah. The, that, the, the, the long weekends, you're hosting family or you like doing stuff with extended family. You're installed. Yeah. You're fixing stuff around the house, right? Like it just is not a, yeah. Making meals. Really relaxing. Yep. Cause if I don't decide the meals, like, oh my God, I is, that is the most frustrating conversation to have as a, as a head of household is what do people want to eat? So these days I just make what I think they should eat and go with it <laughs> instead of asking. Anyways. Um, yeah. Cool. So anyways, three day weekend was nice, but yeah, lots of, lots of just getting stuff done and knocked off the old to-do list. Uh, so now it's back to doing a different to-do list, which is boring. Yes. But anyways, um, cool. right. So what do you want to talk about next? I mean, we got the uh, the update on PyPy. They talked a little bit about what they did. Um, we've got uh, ChatGPT, cool. which is always uh, a fun one. Good one. Um, yeah. Maybe, you... Well, let's talk, let's talk about PyPy first because that one popped up. Um, in... Dude, can we talk about what the hell support can... Seriously, like this is... I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole trying to figure out what does this mean? Because okay. as you post their, uh, as you post this link, uh, the, the Pi 2FA Pi explain, one or the, the support one? for API tokens with offline attenuation makes no sense in my head. I've reread that line a million times. I have looked at what what does that mean i read the link that they linked to for that which doesn't explain like i don't i feel dumb today because i don't understand what that means so support for api tokens with offline attenuation it's not even relevant to what we want to talk about i just they link out to this like help api token thing and all it says is like you can use api tokens and here's how you use them it doesn't explain offline attenuation attenuation is what a re- reduction of signal, right? Mm-hmm. What yeah. the fuck does that mean, man? Offline att- It's just stuck in my brain. I'm sorry, but it is stuck in my brain and I'm just not having it today. So if you can figure that out, man, Help. you tell me. Well, I mean, it just... Why I... mm. dot zip? Because it's I can, not I can't. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome (laughs) i just saw that That was awesome yeah no support for api tokens with offline attenuation i just don't understand what that means like what is offline how are you detecting an increase in whatever activity usage offline maybe or reduction in i just i don't know man it doesn't make sense well okay okay so i think what it's saying is you can you can um, uh, you can limit what the tokens can actually do. Like its role that like you can scope your tokens down, I believe, um, to specific actions, right? So I think that's what they're trying to say with uh, offline attenuation, right? Like at the very least, it's starting to scope that down. But I, like offline, what does that even mean, right? Like the token has to be used online, right? I, so I'm saying like, it just, I'm like, is this a me thing or is this a them thing? And I'm starting to lean towards this is the them thing that way. And it doesn't even matter. It's not applicable to this article in any way. It's just, that's one of the things they said they did to like protect. And it's like, against like these attacks. Cause okay, we should just back up the, the okay. promise of this article or this article talks about the, the, the sort of inherent security promise that, that you have, or like you have to, you have to kind of just believe this exists, this promise, which is that uh, because you're downloading code from somewhere that there is a reasonable expectation that the code that you're downloading was built by the person that said that they uploaded it or that you expected to have uploaded it. Um, and that that's a trustworthy to, to whatever degree you're willing to trust that entity that, Anyways, PyPy has done its job to make sure as best as possible that that is the person or the organization uh, who's uploading that code and you're downloading. It's all it's all above board. It's all the people you expect. Now, 
that promise uh, or or part of that promise, they, they talk about some of the things they've done to live up to that expectation, which is blocking compromised passwords, strong 2FA support using both WebAuth and, and TOTP. Again, support for API tokens with offline attenuation, so gobbledygook. Uh, enrolling the most downloaded projects into mandatory 2FA makes a lot of sense. NPM definitely went this route. Um, mm -hmm. Enabling short-lived tokens for upload. And if you notice, each one of these features being introduced is a progressive kind of incremental change. And that's important because well, what I will say, just observing the NPM, NPM team at GitHub is when they had to roll things out, it was, it was very like... There was a lot of testing. There's a lot of contact, a lot of outreach. Um, even small changes did require a lot of that kind of work. There was a lot of mindful um, uh, or purposeful, purposefully mindful work done to ensure that things didn't break. Now, as part of this progressive enhancement, the latest thing that they're doing is requiring if you have an organization um, that you enable 2FA, which I think is, to be fair, like, that's kind of like a given to me. Like, if you're doing, so for NPM, if you want to, for instance, namespace uh, um, uh, an NPM module, uh, you, I believe you need to do that under an organization. That's my understanding. It's mm -hmm. like, you need to have an organization, scope it namespace-wise to that organization, and then each year, so it'd be like at Seth, or at Redpoint forward slash, and then like your different NPM module namings. That's the convention. And so that if you are an organization and you are namespacing, in this case, they, they, they turn it on. All right. That's my, that's my spiel. I think that's the summary. Now, having said that, Seth, thoughts, any thoughts at all on this, on this challenge? Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, it does feel like they are reacting to the recent news. It probably wasn't as big of a, um, issue as it came across like it definitely wasn't as abused as much as that npm was recently right like with the whole marketing thing that went on there um but on the flip side i'm like it's 2023 like this is this is stuff that i'm that we should have been thinking about a few years ago right like i mean we've had totp for how long we've had like 2fa um you know that you're a critical piece of the python you know infrastructure um and i mean the, the same could go for any of the package managers that are out there it's just the ones that get abused uh that actually start to go down this path and it's probably just because it you know most of them came about years ago before a lot of this like we just really didn't consider it to be much of a threat right like it or it was a oh this will be a threat in the future and we'll deal with it then and now it's time to pay that piper right um yeah, I don't know, like at end of 2023, as they say, that's when it's all going to go into place. Um, I think the yeah. why now section is the most interesting. If you, I don't know if you've read through that, that part of it. Why now? Yeah. Increasing focus on supply chain security. Actually, maybe I'll show the article really quick. Let me share the tab. Yeah, because so I'd like to, if you could highlight that second, or excuse me, the first sentence in the third paragraph under why now uh, when you share it i think this is the thing that's starting to blow my mind a little bit um completely unexpected uh, no securing crap i'm trying oh there it is yes all right this is the one that you're the why now paragraph sorry not the one you yeah, if you can go to the third paragraph and that first sentence, the initial announcement of that mandate is to the top 1%. So this is talking about in July of 2022, they announced a, both a security key giveaway, which is freaking amazing, probably YubiKeys, YubiKeys or something like that, yep. in conjunction with a plan to begin mandating 2FA for the top 1% and only the top 1% of projects on PyPy. So let's just recap that sentence. They're giving away security keys for free and providing... Uh, to or mandating 2FA, but only for the top 1% of projects. Seems pretty reasonable, right? Read that yeah. third, that first sentence of that third paragraph, though. The initial announcement and the related giveaway was met with mixed reactions, ranging from people applauding the effort to people deciding to distribute their code on places other than PyPy. Dang. What? Right? I was like, whoa. And, and we, when they go, when you look at the bullet point list, um, when they said like how, how things have changed, uh, you know, they've gotten more confident in 2FA or 
the community presumably is more confident. She shipped, they shipped features like, I guess it would be them. They shipped features like trusted publishing, GitHub has furthered its man's, its plans to mandate 2FA for all contributors. But this is, I think, the really interesting one that they have hired a PyPy safety and security engineer, which is incredible. Like, if anything, this is all good stuff. Like, mm -hmm. but it does blow my mind. Now, I guess it does depend on, no, no, this was, this was recent. This was in within the last year that people were throwing a hissy fit about their projects yeah. requiring 2FA. What the shit, man? What else yeah. do you want from people? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're providing packages to the internet at large through their platform. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it feels like a no-brainer, right? Like, I would have been asking for this, and that's probably, you know, that mixed reaction seems strange to me. I don't know. It goes back to developers, right? Like, any time that there is some sort of a a change in the status quo that causes some sort of a, oh crap, now I have to go do X, Y, and Z when I want to upload a package to PyPy, right? Like I, I, I get it. There, there's going to be extra effort that you have to put into it, but there's a lot of uh, resistance to that sort of a change because it, it requires a little bit more thought and, you know, it, it breaks what currently works for them, right? It's, it's definitely a breaking change. Um, so I guess that's, that's why I could see that they have a little bit of a, a, you know, some heartburn there, but the security additions that come from that or the, the extra, the added security for your package and for ultimately your customers feels like a, it feels like a no brainer. Right. Um, but I don't it's know. So I'd, be interested to see, because... I'd be interested to see what that 1% is like what those packages are. And how public that was. Now, there's probably a PyPy mailing list somewhere that has the the whole uh, um, argument. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if because I was like thinking, presumably, I mean, PyPy is an organization on um, on GitHub, so so presumably there is somewhere in here an issue where people comment on why they didn't like the mandatory two FA. There's a support. Um, there's a support link here. Um, yeah, I mean uh, everything. Oh my on God, there. actually, by the way, to uh, to to the point I was about to make uh, about like um, just like how much overhead comes with. To be clear, and they mentioned this a little bit in the article. When you enforce two FA, it's not like that's a that's an easy thing that you just like innate. Like if I mandate a 1% of projects require that, that's actually going to hurt me. I'm going to have to put in a bunch of support hours to, to, to deal with people that have like everything from account recovery to lost keys for their, like, you know, people just are so bad with recovery keys at, at managing them. Um, yeah. It just, it's like, I don't know. I'm just trying to say that it's, it's quite a, it's quite a pain for the, per it's not like they're doing this, this brings me to my bigger point here, which is it's, it's not like they're doing this for fun, like mandating 2FA, right? They're, these package maintainers live in this weird, weird little space where they are bridging the gap between people that just do stuff for fun, for free, because it's it's something they do. They want to write some software and, you know, they thought somebody else might get some use out of it uh, or whatever the motivation might be. But it's, it's essentially no guarantees whatsoever. That's literally the licensing in most of these projects, right? It's like, do with it what you will. I make no promises about whether or not it works. That is, there's that end of the extreme, just some lone operator doing some code or writing some code, pushing it up, whatever, but doesn't care. Like what, or it isn't legally obligated based off of what happens as long as it's not purposefully malicious. Right now. Yeah. That's that's one end of the spectrum. The extreme other end of the spectrum is your Pfizer regulated, uh, yeah, different or companies for one reason or another who are super regulated. But guess what? They're using John Doe or Jane Doe's code that they wrote for free on their off time that powers like big parts of this this 
application that has guarantees. It has compliance and regulatory guarantees. It has uptime SLA guarantees for its users. It is a company with a face and it has legal obligations and compliance and regulatory obligations. And guess what? That code is actually like meaningfully doing something in that application. So that's the other opposite side of the extreme there. And in, in between those two worlds, someone has to manage like dealing with distributing those in a sane way, having some level of heuristics and data that they're analyzing for markers that seem malicious because that's kind of like back to their promise, right? There's a, there's a, for the extreme end that has like, that is a company that has all these regulations there. This promise is, is really, really important to them. Yep. Right. But they're not paying for that. They're not paying for any of this. Yep. Who is owed anything really? But it's falling in the package maintainer's hands to do it. And it makes sense. It's a central point. But all I'm trying to say is that it's, it's very hard to do that when you have, when you're literally like bridging the world between two extremes and those just don't, those two worlds don't always align very well. They most often don't. And so anyways, I, I don't, to me, it's just an interesting place that the package maintainers live. I don't know if there's anything that you can draw up on what I just said, but yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it, I, and I posted this other article or the other like Reddit, like this was from last year, right? Like this R Python, you know, comments about PyPy moving to require 2FA, right? For those 3,500 or whatever pro projects. Um, but the top comment there was uh, the maintainer of atomic rights, the dependency of PyTest deleted and recreated the project on PyPy in response an attempt to remove the requirement. So basically because he didn't want to use, or like this developer didn't want to use 2FA, he nuked his project and restarted it. So it wouldn't have, it wouldn't fall under that like 3,500 list, right? Like, or, you know, the number that would, would actually yeah. require it. But, but overall it was pretty positive, like on Reddit and you know how Reddit can get, right? So there were a couple comments yeah. about, oh, it's like, oh, only U.S. and European countries can support this, right? But yeah, and then people saying, well, why, you know, why not just do commit uh, signing or whatever it is? It just it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. This, by the way, oh, this yes. is interesting. Did you read the fine print? Um, Huh. On this article or where? Sorry. Or yeah, just uh, now I'm just reading some clarifying points that they, they link to the four clarifying points. Not for nothing, but PyPy is also an OSS project run largely by volunteers and cleaning up after a compromise on PyPy is something that affects those volunteers significantly. Yeah, that's another thing. Seriously, it, it the, the toll that it takes to clean up after something, I've been a part of it. I know. I know firsthand. Mm -hmm. I dealt with it with NPM multiple times. Like it is man, like it takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot of energy out of you. And I'm not even talking about myself. I'm talking about what I witnessed for developers working on it. I'm, I mean, whatever, that's my job. That's not their job. It sucks. It sucks hard. So if they want to mandate 1% requires 2FA, go forth, do it. I think it's great. I think it should be more than that, but I get it. So anyways. Yep. Good, good on you, PyPy. You remain Python and, and uh, that whole ecosystem still remains a really awesome ecosystem in my mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I like to see it. I, I'm hoping that more and more of the, the package maintainers will do this or at least at the very least support it, um, requiring it for the large packages that, you know, we, we depend on from, you know, on a daily basis, that's, uh, it, it seems like a no brainer to make sure that the people that are actually pushing things and uploading code are the ones that should be expected. And this goes back to that article, the articles we talked about last week, right? Supply chain security stuff, solar winds, um, right? Like they had code that was uploaded to their CICD that was not, uh, that did not come to, from their developers, right? This is one of the ways that you can actually prevent that from happening is providing 2FA when you are uploading code, period, right? Like that's that, that would have prevented that attack from being successful. I mean, there are probably other ways to get around it, but at the very least, there are 
gates in place, right? It's the whole layered security approach that we constantly talk about. So yeah. I don't know. So I, I, you know, if, layers. yeah, if we, if we get down to like the crocs and socks of security though, right? Like if AppSec can, what is your takeaway here from what is it that you're looking for in the, in the code that you, that you're looking at, that you're assessing or the, 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 yeah, dealing with developers in your own internal organization. Like, what is it that you take away from this? Well, I know that there's some products I saw it. Uh, I know, sorry to skip to this, but I was thinking about how you would prevent some of the stuff. And, and I just kind of yeah. skipped forward to like some of the vendors. I remember at RSA, we're talking about using um, some metrics, like, was this just uploaded? Like, has there been um, a change of hands w recently with the package? Like they were using some, um, heuristics, some data markers from the uh, package. Where, where, where all your dependencies come from, your package maintainer uh, or multiple package maintainers in some kit or package servers, pack, package hosting servers. Jeez, I can't talk, man. Uh, but anyways, they were using markers like that to determine, you know, if potentially this has been a comp, been a comp, been a package that has been compromised. And I think that's very intelligent. I think it's a, uh, you know, it's it's better than just saying, oh, your 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 package has a CVE. It's like, all right, great. There's so many things that go into that. And like, we, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole for the fiftieth thousand time. But like, whatever. Anyways, it, I think it's great. I think it's great that they 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 use those heuristics. What what about you? What 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 is this? What is it? Where does this land with you? Yeah, I I mean, I'm starting to think about what I can recommend as far as. Hey, we're looking at a code base. Are we looking at, um, you know, how well protected are the packages that you're pulling in, and and what should that actually look like? How can we actually tell? I know, I know, in some of the, you know, whether it's signatures, whether it's you know the use of encrypted services, um, but I but I don't see a lot of you know checks on the client side like when we're building software you know after we pull those packages down um locking some of that actually in like it, you know it, i'm thinking i need to spend more time looking at things like package lock.json outside of just you know uh cve analysis but also like how that's actually functioning is there a weakness that goes into that that could possibly lead to another solar winds that could lead to somebody, you know, in inserting in code that is unintended. Um, because every, I, I mean, every project that I look at nowadays pulls in code like third party code at some level. Right. Um, yeah. There is very do. rare that I, yeah, it's very rare. I run into a, an app that only uses like the, uh, the packages from Apple or from Microsoft or from the, you know, the, that are built into the IDE. Most of them start from, oh, well, I'm going to go pull things down from React and I'm going to load in all these other libraries or whatever it is um, that are hosted on NPM. And then not a lot of thought goes into those libraries after the fact. So I, I, I'm just thinking that there's more threat that's there that I haven't necessarily thought through and trying to figure out how to check for that to make sure that that CICD, like that build process is happening appropriately and that the checks actually exist. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, package, well, what, what you would think? you check for is kind of the, I mean, those heuristics we talked about are probably a big part of That's it. That's probably right? about um, it. Right. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of research that, that, that can be done there. I, you know, actually, I didn't mean to pull this in, but I know that's that's been something like dependency analysis and what actually is happening um, you know, in the different package managers, looking at how like dependency graphs between them um, and the heuristics that go into it. Like it's been one of the things that Logical and I have been talking about for a long time is building out that sort of a database to do this sort of heuristics um, an analysis so we could give somebody a score as far as like, Hey, it looks like that, you know, most of the packages that you're using, you know, they've been updated recently. They seem to be like fairly live They're you know, things are being solved or we're seeing some strangeness in like these two packages that are three levels deep 
that you may or may not want to take a look at, right? Like it's, you know, getting that sort of analysis out of the, out of the dependency graph or out of NPM, PyPy, you know, all the different package managers is a difficult thing. And I, it starts from packages.json or like just the list of packages from that project. But I feel like there's a lot more research that needs to be done in that, in that area is basically what it boils down to. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, but at least it's going in the right direction and it's not just like, yeah, oh, I had a CVE like that's, this is actually a bigger point, which I don't need to get too far down into, but what I'm noticing, I've seen the word. All right. Seen, like we talked about it. I've seen the word context a lot, right? That's, that's yeah. in everything now. Like literally every product is saying that now and including my own, right? Which, cause at the time when we were coming up with it, it wasn't a widely, I didn't see it as a widely used term. Now it's everywhere. And here's what I'm realizing. The industry or not just now realizing, but here's what I've realized. The industry is not, doesn't like, isn't just looking at like, Oh, uh, a control point, meaning, Hey, this matches a, this dependency matches this CV or hey, this source code matches a pattern that is known to be bad. What what things are doing now, especially, and I think this is where I hate to say it, I know, and we're going to get into AI here in a second, but I think this is going to help, AI is going to help empower some of collecting some of this information. But what I'm seeing is yeah. products moving towards context over control, which is, and, and just in general, not products, but like processes and people, they're moving to a methodology, which says, you know what? Scanning for a pattern alone isn't good enough. Scanning for known CVs, not good enough. There are a lot of con contextual bits that I can gather about to, to include, just take the dependency, for instance, who is the person? What's their reputation? Where, when's this yep. been updated? Has this been handed over? Do they have 2FA enabled? All these questions that you start to use that aren't necessarily technical control points and pattern matching and code doing, you know, this clever stuff. It's, it's really just asking questions. And this is where I think AI will help empower is it'll, you'll start asking questions of AI. AI will start giving you compositional information and then you'll start to aggregate all of that together to create context. And once you have context, you know, whether or not something matters and how it matters. Yep. Yeah. So that's where you're seeing, I think people's methodologies go, their tooling go, and that's where the future really lies. And I think it's, it's a really beautiful thing to see. I think it's a, the next evolution in security, but also in technology as a, as a whole. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like I, I, I always kind of go back to, and I, I know we talk about the course all the time in Circular Code Review, but I, I feel like that's half of what we, or a lot of what we talk about there is context, right? Um, and like everything that we go, that we do trying to understand an application, understand source code is just to understand the context of it. And now we've just increased what we have to actually understand, right? Like every, every new attack that comes out, um, it, it, it changes that context for us a little bit. So, but, but I'm with you, right? Like, um, at some level, that's what we're going to start becoming is trainers of AI to teach it what the context is and what actually truly matters. Um, and then letting it go out and try and, you know, learn from that context itself. I, I don't know how well it's actually going to do when it comes to that. Um, the pattern stuff, definitely, it'll, it'll pick up on really quick. Um, but context is going to be, you know, that's, it feels like it'll be a longer process there. Context is king, man. That's where everything's moving towards. And I think it's, it, it's, it's absolutely necessary because, because that is really what control is. It's, 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 it's lacking context. And that's where really, think about, think about, it doesn't have to be just AppSec stuff, but I mean, certainly SAST and DAST has no context, right? Like none at all. They, 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 they could have it, but those tools don't have it typically. Right. And yep. it's, it's, it is glorified even in an AST situation you're still just creating a list of inputs a list of outputs and creating source to sync mapping and looking for patterns that's really all it is right so but but i think that's that's the limitation that everybody and and it doesn't like i said it doesn't have to be just sas or das tools it, it, it could be a number of things it could be linting tools for developers without without understanding a lot of other factors into what is going or what's going on what's changing it's kind of just this like contextless control point 
and it's why people are miserable, I think. And it's, you know, miserable in the sense of, you know, just like it's hey, it's been years and years and years and we haven't really seen anything that's really evolved and leapt forward in huge, huge ways. And, and anyways, going to go off on it. I told I said I was going to I got to be careful with this one because it's a tangent that's that's very easy to go off on. Yep. Let's, yep. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk about AI and the poisoning of chat GPT since we're on the okay. AI kick already. Yep. Let me let me post this one up up there. Right. Um, do you do you want to post it? uh on one medium, I'll post it on the other. Oh, I got it on YouTube. So cool. I'll do uh, Slack then. Okay. All right. Um, did uh, yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, let me share this one. I'll share this. Share my screen too. Right. Like while we're thinking about, there are it, a lot or... of good points to to kind of to kind of cover in here. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just give a kind of an overview. Of yeah, you want to give an overview? Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So the the big gist here is that um, we know that these data sets can be poisoned. They talk a little bit about that poisoning. Um, the big argument, as far as I can tell, or the big kind of like takeaways from this article are nobody has access to understand much about the data and the data sets they're using. Yep. No, and that's you know closed and for a reason. Nobody has much of an idea on how fine tuning happens. They didn't talk about this in the article, but I'm just going to add to it, dude. Good luck debugging. That's a big issue. Is like there's not really a sense of debugging in these LLMs, and I don't need to go into every technical reason why. But imagine something that you kind of set off and it starts doing stuff without you understand. That's kind of the point is it's supposed to do stuff and just kind of draw upon all of this data to formulate new things. And much of it, even the, the, the people that built it don't understand when it's making um, the, the leaps, they don't understand necessarily why in all cases, at least that's what's been publicly said. And if that's the case, that tells me it's probably very hard. And then again, you, you know, you start to think about what's going on under the hood. It's probably very next to impossible to insert. You, it's not like you can go into an app. Put it this way. If I'm if I'm creating a function, I'm having issues with it. Maybe it's breaking something, something else somewhere else in the app. I can put in a simple debug statement and I can immediately figure out like, OK, well, that's this or it's producing that or whatever. I can't do that here. And that's anyways, that's the third thing I think that that's a bit of an issue with these with these, uh, with like chat GPT and, and all, all that stuff. So that that's, those are the main things they talk about. They talk about also that because nobody knows how good or bad the data sets are, it is essentially everyone's getting, I think the term they use is everyone's kind of getting a lemon because mm -hmm. they don't, if everybody, it's hard for me to tell you and give feedback on your thing and tell you it compares, you know, it's it's good and bad in these ways when I don't know what's going on. All I know is I'm feeding your data set stuff by interacting with it and I get some stuff back and I have no idea how good or bad any of that is. I don't, I can't see behind the curtain. And so to provide you feedback is virtually impossible. So you have all these providers giving stuff that they're like, yeah, this is really amazing, but like maybe it's not right. And so yeah. then. Well, and no I mean, yeah. And that was kind of the, that's the summary. Yeah, the initial yeah. our initial like explorations with ChatGPT and Copilot getting us getting it you know getting these LLMs to write code, um, it and something that's very technical, right? It it becomes obvious pretty quickly that the training sets like the training data sets aren't as sophisticated or aren't as knowledgeable as you know what we are currently dealing with. Right. Like it, they, they come back with decent or sometimes, you know, generic recommendations that do make sense. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, if it's trained on data that's 10 years old, it's going to be 10 years out of date when it comes to, okay, here's this code that it's writing to actually fix this problem. And maybe it's not using the latest frameworks or whatever it is. Um, but I think the, the main point of this article was that without that knowledge of what those training sets are, um, our interactions with those LLMs, training those LLMs even further, actually can lead to this poisoning effect. 
where we we push it towards um, towards bad data, towards bad, you know, uh, you know, and depending on how much we scale into it, it can have that problem over and over. And, you know, it, it eliminates the, the usefulness of those models over time, because we are poisoning them against, you know, what we don't want to, what we, yeah, we're poisoning them against what would actually be useful in the AI itself. Right. Um, and it, at that point as well, I start to think about, okay, are there like nation state attacks or corporate style attacks that you could do against an LLM to, you know, to eliminate the usefulness of those AIs in certain situations to give yourself an advantage, you know, whether it's attacking a system or what, what have you, right? Um, if I can, and Okay, so, and this is in LLMs. If I go back again, like I, I start to show my age when I start to talk about these things, right? But if I go back to initial days of, um, uh, yeah, of, uh, you know, detection, IDS systems, right? Intrusion detection systems. Um, these are simplistic AI systems. Um, they started with, uh, you know, a set of regular expressions, basically, um, but over time, they realized that they could let the the um, the IDSs kind of train themselves on what is good and what is bad. Um, but the ability to send massive amounts of data through you know gigabytes and terabytes of traffic against an IDS system, you can poison that uh, those heuristics that it builds based on the 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 data that you send to it. Right. Like, and this is the same problem that we're having here. It's just amplified. We're just, we're, you know, everything old is new again, basically is all I'm getting into here. Right. Like it, it feels like the same problem that we've had with other AI style systems and heuristic based systems. Um, and we're just recognizing that, Oh, look, you know, we can do the same thing against an LLM that we could against these, you know, these more simplistic AIs that we had 20 plus years ago. Right yeah you, you, yeah you disagree or no 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 no. i don't i don't no no, no. it's not necessarily it's not necessarily di- no 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 not, not disagreeing at all actually um yeah i, I, I mean and i, I guess, guess that's, that's I guess what they're saying yeah we've known for a long time that ami models can be poisoned right um llms are just you know ai models yeah Sorry, what were you going to say? I interrupted your thought there. I'm, no, I'm actually kind of still formulating some thoughts here. It's um, yeah, I, I think the scale bit of what you talked about, the degradation over time and the at scale is what what is most concerning. Although it's it does feel like so much of this is kind of just, I mean, they so they do give a concrete non theoretical example. They talk about the black hat SEO and and uh, yeah, yeah, how you how you can which absolutely. Um, Though I, you know, SEO is a whole other ball of wax with its own. I don't think the problem is AI. I think the problem is SEO. But that, yeah. that's that's my summary, my non-tangent version of that thought. Um. Anyways, I just don't know. Like, so because I don't know if you read how they they talked about like some of the the degrad like the, the ways that they degrade degradate the the data over time. Uh-huh. Um. I just feel like, I don't know. I, I just feel like that, that, that give, given the, this is probably, this either could be a real concern or it's going to be a very e- easily neutered and uh, killed off uh, attack vector. And I don't know which one that that's, that, that's the summarized version. We are uh, about an hour into this. So uh, <laughs> I'll say, I'll say that. And, 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 you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is, AI is pretty smart. The people that are building this are pretty smart. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if um, there were countermeasures for these types of uh, concerns very quickly built in. And uh, but maybe not. I don't know. I, that's yeah. It's either going to be a big problem or no problem at all. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, I I mean, you know, in the case of IDS is right, balancing out right what's like what heuristics were used versus what you know what patterns are used, and you know, I I think there'll be some sort of compromise there. I'm with you when it comes to that. Um, 
the LLMs, the, the problem that we have right now is just that we're training it on everything. And that's where they're seeing this degradation about, you know, the output, the ability to, you know, especially during instruction training, if you can insert malicious or you can poison that set, then it will become a bigger and bigger problem. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know if there's much else to say there, but it, it, it is a different, it's a different attack vector. So like if you are exploring AI, especially like local LLMs, right. To do something within your organization, be very careful during that training period and what's actually being, how the AI is being trained on various data, because that can have a huge effect on how useful the AI is over time with certain keywords, with certain interactions, right? Um, mm -hmm. We don't understand. I mean, I don't, I know, like, I'm not an AI expert. I know I don't understand a lot about how those interactions actually happen behind the scenes um, and how, how the AI makes those leaps. I'm with it there. Like, I just have never studied that. Um, but it would be interesting to have someone on eventually to talk about that if we could find someone that, you know, has done a lot with open AI or with, you know, AI in a, yeah, in a scholarly setting, right? Like building out different AIs, like investigating how LLMs are built and what, what can actually happen there. It would be an interesting discussion to have. So if anybody knows anyone, right? Like I, I know Cole was exploring some of that from like a co-pilot perspective, Ken, but uh, you know, I'm wondering if there's more, if there's some, if there's some other people that are out there that would be interested in talking about it. I think yeah. so. Uh, I can yeah. find some. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, for sure. Actually, we should probably get Daniel Meisler on the podcast at some point to talk through some of his again. thoughts on, on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll get him on the podcast again. Um, always good to talk to Daniel. Yep. Uh, but yep. I know he's like whole hog, fully into the AI rabbit hole. So great, great cool. person to to talk to. Yeah. No, man. It's it, it, you know it's funny. Some weeks there's not a whole lot going on there's yeah. nothing going on some weeks it's like hard to find the time to hit in an hour spot which is really all you and i can dedicate at this point uh yeah. to, to cover all of these topics it's just so much so anyways yeah yeah i did want to give a shout out to um who is he in slack um dang i'm going back to rick Ramgadi, um and throw his article out right um yeah. Basically, uh, like, it, you know, he, he goes through a um, an exercise here in this Medium article about securing PDF generators against an SSRF. I know we don't have a lot of time to talk about it, um, but it's a good, you know, it's a, it's a pretty quick read on research that he did um, initially for himself. And then they actually ended up using it in his company, right, to prevent SSRF attacks through, awesome. yeah, yeah, during the PDF generation process. Um, using what, what does he say? Wheezy print and WKT HTML. So take a look at that. Um, interesting, like how we prevented it again, going back to kind of Crocs and socks and actually how you validate, you know, data before you, before you do things. And yeah, just wanted to give him a shout out on that. And yes. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. We have actually, maybe we could talk about it next uh, episode, uh, like dive into yeah. the technical bits, but yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it'd be good because it is. Cool. I, I mean, it, it all goes kind of back to the Crocs and socks. Oh, speaking of which, hold on. Oh, no. What do we have here? Sorry, yawning. I, I just have like oh, a, a little snap. like oh, snap. Oh, Crocs and socks stickers. I'll be taking some of those to uh, uh, Madrid with me this week. I, I don't know if I've got, I haven't, I haven't heard anybody from the podcast reach out in Madrid. So I don't know if we have any listeners over there. But we'll definitely start sending some of these out. We're going to have new T-shirts soon. Um, Ken and I have a, like we've got kind of updated logos and everything that's coming. So if you are interested, as soon as we you know start to share some of that out, let us know. I know we got a lot of people here that have the current iteration of the T-shirt, but we do have more that we want to send out. So. I yeah, and I have because I've got still like the current iteration of our shirts that I'd like to get out of my office. So if you um, need shirts, um, send me your size and shipping address and name to Ken at absoluteabsec.com. I'm officially checking that email. <laughs> I, I 
I'm finally checking that email address. I was checking like the other three that I, that I was keeping an eye on and I just wasn't keeping track of my own one, but anyways. Um, yeah. So send, send it to me, uh, or, you know, Seth at absolute appsec.com, whichever. Um, yep. but I really would like to get rid of the ones in my office. So please, so I can make room for the new swag that we're, 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 we're getting. So, uh, yeah, please yep. reach out. But yeah. I, I, I won't send Ken any of the new swag until he get he actually sends out the old swag. So, yeah. I don't want the new swag until I can get rid of this box that's to my left. When that box yeah. is done, then I'll send out. Uh, then I want new stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So. Sweet. And, and to All be right. fair, that, that's my fault because I did forget them when we went to RSA. <laughs> I forgot my T-shirts, so I remember everything yeah, else. That is those. all right. That that is true. I I do remember. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. so frustrated anyway. by that. Anyways, all right. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, yeah, I think that's everything for today. Uh, as always, join Slack. Find us on absoluteappsec.com. Um, and yeah, again, this this episode was sponsored by Redpoint Security, redpointsecurity.com. Check them out. Code security by coders. And yeah. Ken, anything else before we call it today? Buy Redpoint stuff, man. No, I don't know. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, sweet. All right. Cool. Thanks, everybody. We'll, we'll catch you all next week.